But this time we're doing first and second Peter. And in doing first and second Peter, uh, one of the problems is Peter is um, kind of like in life, very sporadic. He's that way when he, when he writes. And so in his writing of his letters, um, especially first Peter, it just doesn't all go in order. So there's two main themes that Peter talks about, and we're going to hit those two themes the next two weeks. Um, he talks about how to live as a Christian. We're going to do that today. But then he also talks about suffering. As a matter of fact, he uses the word suffering like 14 or 15 times in just the first book of Peter. But he will go about being a Christian and then talk about suffering and then being a Christian and talk about suffering. So I just thought, you know what, to save us all a little headache, we're going to just take both of those two topics out and discuss them as we go. So today we start off with what does it mean to be a Christian? That's kind of the the theme we're going to be hitting today when it comes to this. Um, and, And something about Peter, just to give you a little background, Peter was one of Jesus's original disciples. Um, As a matter of fact, it was Jesus that gave him the name Peter. When he first shows up in the Bible, um, he shows up as Simon, uh, which means listener, which is hilarious because if you ever read the Gospels, you'll realize Peter doesn't listen to anybody, ever, ever. And so I think Jesus knew that. Like Jesus was like, bro, you were misnamed from the beginning. Like your mama had no clue what you were going to be all about. I'm going to give you a new name and it's called Rock. And some people are like, that's probably Rock. Because he's going to be the rock of foundation of the truth. I think it was because he was a rockhead. And Peter, Jesus was like, I can't get nothing through to you, man. Like, you're the rock. So, um, so that's who Peter was. Peter made a lot of mistakes and did a lot of great things. Peter was one of the very few people um, in the Bible to go from one minute, Jesus saying uh, that he was so blessed and heard from God, to the next minute, Jesus is saying, get thee behind me, Satan. I mean, Peter was kind of all over the board. Peter was the guy that told Jesus, I will never leave you or forsake you, and then turned around and denied him. I mean, that's who Jesus, I mean, who Peter was in his relationship with God. He was very sporadic and very out there. As a matter of fact, it reminds me a lot of my dog. Um, this week, we went, uh, we went camping. We had a little, little boy time, little man time with, with my dad and I, and we took Colt and Gabriel, and we went out to, to the property, and we went camping. And, um, and it was funny, I was driving out there, they went out before me, so I'm driving out there, and I've got the dog in the back seat of the car, and I'm driving, and Gabriel calls me, and he says, Dad, he says, it's so good that you didn't bring Bo, like, I'm glad you didn't bring Bo, because it would be a mess out here, and so I just kept quiet, like, I didn't say nothing, because I knew the dog was in the back seat of the car, and he didn't know, so we get out there, and we unleash the dog, and he's going, having fun, having a big time, but you know this, like, whenever it's time to go to sleep, you got to do something with the dog, like, if I leave the dog out, while we're sleeping, he's just going to be running around barking and yelling. And so I was like, we're going to put the dog in the tent with us. And my dad was like, that's fine. But I'm telling you right now, he's not my dog. He's not sleeping with me. He's not going to be around me. Like he can sleep with y'all, but he's not sleeping with me. And that, I was like, that's cool. He can sleep with us. And, and so we get in the tent and for some reason, Colt got a cot. Colt got like a seven foot long cot and Colt's about four feet tall. He got a seven foot long cot off the ground, and the rest of us are sleeping on the ground. I don't know how that happened, but we're all sleeping on the ground, and we get the dog in the tent with us, and the first thing Bo does is go straight to my dad and curl up right between his legs. And dad's like, I can't even sleep like this. And we're laughing, and, and we're like, we'll get him over here, but my dad's a big softy, and so my dad was like, no, he, he's fine. He, he's, he's good right here, you know. And so then, of course, during the middle of the night, just like Peter, Bo would stand up, and he heard anything and it's loud in the woods y'all think it's peace and quiet in the woods it's not 
Go spend the night, one night in the woods, especially near a creek or a pond, and you're going to hear every frog in America croaking at the same time. And Bo thinks every frog is an intruder trying to get in the tent. And so he's standing up and barking and yelling and, and running around the tent trying to find the frogs. And it was a mess. It was an absolute mess. In the, in the next morning, we got up at, at 2 in the morning. Um, I heard something out in the water. It was, uh, I don't know what it was, but, but I thought, I was dreaming that someone was stealing the boat. And so I, I jump up and it's like, they're stealing the boat. My dad jumps up and he runs outside. And of course the boat's sitting there. I was like, I heard the motor. And my dad's like, there's no motor on the boat. It's a, it's a rowboat. So, so unless they brought a motor to put on the boat and then steal it, in which case, let them have it. You know, that's a lot of work. They deserve it. So 2.30 in the morning, of course, now Colt's up and... And we're just hanging out, like we're building a fire, and he's driving the four-wheeler. It's 2.30 in the morning. What else would you do at 2.30 in the morning? So we get back in the tent, and I said, Colt, let, let Honey take the, the cot. Let him have the cot. That way Bo won't mess with him. And some of you saw my, on my Instagram story, I posted a picture of Dad laying on the cot and Bo <laughs> laying right next to him. What you didn't see is the video of that, and that Bo is licking him in the face the whole time. It's kind of like Peter. Peter just kind of... He's there, like he's fine and he's great and he's your buddy. And the next minute he's yelling and barking and licking you in the face. Like that's just kind of who Peter was. So we're going to read, we're going to read through a bunch of this. And I'm sorry, I'm going to try to go as quickly as I can. uh, But we got a lot of material to cover in a short amount of time. Let's start before we get into all of Peter. We're not going to start at the beginning. Let's start at the end. First Peter chapter five, verses eight and nine. It's going to set us up for the rest of the series here. Here's what Peter says. He says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. He says, stand firm against the devil and be strong in your faith. One of the things we're going to talk about today, where we're going to go today, is how to be strong in your faith. I think what we've got today, and we'll get into this on the last week of the series, but what we've got today is a very watered down, weak Christianity. We've got a lot of people who have the name of Christ on their t-shirt, but they don't live like Christ underneath it, right? We, we, we've got this weakness, and so whenever temptation comes or storms come, we fall apart. And so Peter says this, he understands what it means to fall apart. And so he's looking at his own life and he looks at the, these Christians that he's writing to uh, in the area of Turkey. And he says this, stand firm against the devil and be strong in your faith. How can I be strong in my faith? Well, we start back at first Peter chapter one. In first Peter one, verses two and three, the Bible says this. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago. Right there, that's huge. He knew you and chose you long ago. Some of you may be sitting in the room today, or you may be watching online, and you may say, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of God. I'm not worthy of Christ. I've done so many bad things. I've done so many, made so many mistakes. And Peter starts us off by saying, God knew you from the very beginning. Jeremiah says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. He knew you from the very beginning and he chose you. He picked you out. He thought you were great. Bobby and Michelle are actually in the process of adopting a little baby girl. And so, um, so we won't see Bobby and Michelle a lot this summer because they're going to be taking care of that business. And, and here's the thing. We were, my dad and I were talking the other day about the, the concept of adoption versus giving birth. When you give birth to a child, you're stuck with that kid. Right? Right? Like, you just get what you get. 
guys, my kids are over here. I, I mean, I got them. I didn't choose. I didn't choose what gender they were. I didn't choose hair color. I didn't choose, you know, smart or not. They stuck with my genes. I mean, it is what it is. But when you adopt, when you adopt, you have to physically go in and choose. And there's something so godly about adoption that God looks down and he can see no matter what the background, no matter what the parents were like, no matter what the past is like, no matter what any kind of deformity, no matter what kind of issue, God looks and he can choose just like an adoption. And I love that Paul, that Peter says this is Peter says, you were chosen. And I think he says it because he was chosen. He remembers sitting in a boat one day, fishing and struggling and someone walked up and said, hey, follow me. Then Jesus chose him, picked him out. So he looks at us and he says, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago. And here's a cool thing. We're going to get into the Trinity for a second. And his spirit, the Holy Spirit, has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace in peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Before you can stand firm in your faith, you've got to understand what your faith is built on. Your faith is built on the fact that God knew you and chose you. Your faith is built on the fact that it's His Holy Spirit that sanctifies you and makes you holy. You, you build your faith on the fact that it's by your, the blood of Jesus Christ that we're cleansed and it is by God's mercy we've been born again. So in order to have faith, you've got to have something to stand on. That's what we stand on. We stand on those facts right there. And if you struggle with any one of those facts, your foundation is going to be a little bit creaky. So we've got to firm up that foundation and understand that God loves you today. He cares for you today. He chooses you today. He wants to cleanse you today. He wants to make you holy today. And it's only by His mercy. It's not because of something great that you did. It's because He had mercy on us. So, so we can see Peter's story woven throughout that the fact that he messed up and he repented the fact that god used him and chose him and and blessed him and set him apart that he wasn't the same as he had been so i want to give you three characteristics today once we build our faith on those facts then there's three characteristics i think that we can add to or or develop within us that will help us as christians right so these are three characteristics also when the bible says when peter says stand firm against the devil here's three characteristics that help you stand firm against the devil number one a christian is holy a christian is holy now i know right off the bat you're going to say no 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 no. nobody's holy but god right like nobody's holy except for jesus but here's what you're mistaken you think holy means perfect holy doesn't mean perfect holy means to be set apart holy means to be different holy means to to be to be um set apart for god's purpose in other words, whenever he says in 1 Peter 1, 2, his spirit has made you holy, what he's saying is, is that the Holy Spirit has come in and has set you apart from everybody else. He has plucked you out of the world and said, listen, you are to be different than everybody else. As Christians, we can't walk around being just like everybody. We have to be different. If you find yourself in a place where no one can tell if you're a Christian or not, chances are you're not very holy. There's got to be something that sets us apart. There's got to be something that sets us apart, right? And, and so here's what Peter, he's going to get into this, and, and he's going to tell you what that means. In 1 Peter, uh, a lot of, everything's 1 Peter. This, can I just say that? 1 Peter, okay. Chapter 1, let's do chapter 1, 13. Let's look at chapter 1, verse 13. 
So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. I like that right off the bat that Peter's saying, hey, you better get yourself ready mentally. There's some stuff coming. I'm going to talk to you about being holy. You better get it right in your head first because we got some changes that are going to have to be made. Prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put on your hope in, uh, put all hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. You must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. He says you got to prepare your minds for action. You got to exercise self-control. Why? Because in order for you to live a holy life, in order for you and I to live separate from everybody else, it's going to take some a change in my attitude and in my mind. There are certain surgeries that you can't have unless you go through therapy, mentally counseling because they want to make sure that you don't revert back to the way you used to be and ruin all the work that the surgeon did. So, so there's some changes that need to be made. So Peter's saying, if you want to live a holy life, which is necessary, then you can't live a holy life with the same old mindset you used to have. And he says, he says, you got to exercise self-control. He says, you got to have self-control because there's always going to be that temptation to draw you back to the old lifestyle and the old desires. So you got to have some self-control to say, you know what? I'm not doing that. Now, notice it doesn't say that, that the Holy Spirit, it just makes you not want the old things again. That's what we want him to say. I want God to say, I'm going to take away all your old desires. But he doesn't say that. He says that the desires will still be there. You have to have self-control not to act on those desires. Sometimes what we say is we say, I can't help it. You know, I'm a man and men do what men do. You know, I just can't help it because because of who my mama was and who my daddy was and, and the way they raised me. I just can't help what's inside me. Peter says, I don't care what's inside you. Have self-control and get your mind right. You're called to be set apart and to be holy. Verse 15 says this, but now you must be holy in everything you do. Wow. Everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy for the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. Why do I need to be holy? Because the God that lives inside of me, the God that chose me, the God that died for me is holy. So I need to be holy. Then Peter starts calling us names. I love this part. I love this part. It, I may go too fast for you on some of this, so you may have to come back and, and read through it. But, but I want you to read through the rest of this chapter, uh, 17 on down. And, and I want you to, to notice all the things Peter calls you. He, and, and he says these things, and, and he's, he's backing up. And look, we're going to have to skip down to, to chapter 2 in just a second. Because here's what he does. He just begins to blurt out things that you are, that call you holy. Different words for holy. Sometimes I think people think holy and they think I've got to be perfect, but it's not about that. There's some other things. Here's what he says. He says that you are in in verse 17. And remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. He calls us temporary residents. In other words, he's saying that our life here on earth is not permanent. We've got another home. We've got a home in heaven. And earlier he talks about having a hope, an eternal hope that we have. He says, your time here is just temporary. Live like it. Don't live like this is permanent. Live like this is temporary. Why? Because I'm holy. 
Verse 18, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors, and it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Jesus, uh, the sinless, spotless lamb. He says you are highly valued. He says God paid a high price for you. How many of you have ever had something real expensive in your house? Anybody own anything real expensive? Okay, good. That's the kind of church I like to pastor. Nobody owns anything expensive. Like, there's not one of you in the room today that says, I got, okay, how about this? How many of you own something in your house that is highly valuable to you? Okay, that's better. That's better. Y'all are sitting back saying, I don't have a Lamborghini, so therefore. I got a Toyota Camry, and it's highly valued to me. It's expensive to me, right? Expensive is a relative term. When you have something that's highly valued, how do you treat it? Perry has, has rings on her finger. They may not be expensive to everybody else, but they're highly valued to us. She doesn't take those rings and walk over to the toilet and be like, oh, these rings are dirty. Let me just rinse them out in here. Right? Now, we all know toilet water is the same as sink water. There's no difference. But there's, there's not a difference. The water is the same. Anyways, whatever. But the idea, the idea is I'm not going to take something that's highly valuable and waste it. I'm not going to take something that's highly valuable and put it somewhere dirty. But yet we do that. The, the Bible says that we are so valuable that Jesus paid the ultimate price with his blood for us. And yet if we continue to walk in sin, it's like taking your wedding band and rinsing it out in the toilet. It doesn't make sense. He says you're a temporary resident. He says you're highly valuable. In chapter 2, verse 4, he says you're coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen uh, by God for great honor. And you are the living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. I love that he says you are the living temple of God. The very temple, the very place of worship that God creates is built out of me and you. It's not built out of this, out of this brick and, and, and wood and concrete. That's not the temple. This building is not the temple. The temple is all of us together. Then he says, what's more, you are um, his holy priest. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. So the next thing he says is you are priests. In, in verse 8, he says, he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they don't obey God's word. So they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that. Listen, he says there are people that won't obey God's word and they stumble and fall. But you're not like that. Jason, you're not like that. You're going to go to Troy and there's going to be a lot of people that aren't going to obey God's word. They may go to church, but they don't obey God's word. But you're not like that. You're holy. You're set apart. He says this, Jasek. He says, you're a chosen people. So, so what is he calling us? He says, we're temporary residents. We're aliens. He says, we're highly valued. He says, we're the living temple of God. He says, we're priests. And now he says, you're a chosen pre- uh, people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You are God's very own possession. So there's seven things right there that he just said we are. As a result, you can show others the, God, the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as people, you were once a nobody. 
Now you are God's people. Now you're a somebody. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Listen to all those things. I, I, I would love for you to go back through your Bible and highlight all the things that he says about you. And then I want you to write those down in your journal. And I want you to live those things out. I want you to think, look, God's called me holy. Therefore, I've got to come out of the darkness into the light. I've got to be a chosen people. I can't just be a a nobody. I'm his somebody, right? I'm his people. I've got to make sure that I am a holy nation. I am a royal priest. I I am highly valued. And the cool thing about it is, when we walk in that holiness, when we walk set apart, when we live different than everybody else, it becomes a witness to everyone else around us. We think it's a judgment. And I think there are some people that put pride, and that's why we're going to get into the rest of the message. They put pride in their holiness. They put pride in the fact that they're different than you. I don't do those things, right? I'm not like that guy over there. Like, we get that attitude sometimes. But, but here's the thing. The way you live your life should be a testimony to those around you. Dear friends, verse 11, chapter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners, to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when He judges the world. It's amazing to me that if you live right, that other people will notice and they'll give honor to God. The second thing that a Christian is, the second characteristic we need to add to our life, is a Christian is hungry. So first, a Christian is holy. Second, a Christian is hungry. And you're probably thinking, what in the world are you talking about hungry? I'm hungry. Yes, I'm always hungry. I'm hungry right now. I'm looking at the clock and I'm thinking 10 something is always good for lunch, right? First Peter chapter two, verses one through three. Listen to this. So get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. So he's saying, be holy, right? Step away from all that mess. Be holy. But then he's going to talk to us about being hungry. Like newborn babies, you must crave Pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. A couple of words to notice there. Crave and cry out for nourishment. These are terms of hunger. I don't know if you've ever had a newborn baby around. I've had three and it's not fun. Perry loves it. I don't like newborn babies, right? Why don't you like newborn babies, Gabriel? I don't like them, not because they're not cute and cuddly and fun to snuggle with. That's great. But what's bad is when they start screaming their brains out because they're starving for food and there's nothing I can do about it. Right. And so so I remember in the middle of the night, all of my kids would scream and yell and they wanted food. They wanted to. And it was horrible. It wakes you up out of a deep sleep. But it's effective. It's effective. You get up. Like, you get up and you're like, I don't care what you want. You want a steak? I'll give you a steak. You don't need teeth? I'll just mash it. I'll chew the steak and give it to you, right? I'll do anything to make you stop screaming. And, and Peter's telling us here, he says, you've got to be hungry like a baby. You've got to cry out for nourishment. You've got to crave pure spiritual milk. One of the things I am loving right now about our church and where we are is that, yes, we have some... some um, uh, not old Christians, experienced Christians, right? We have experienced Christians, myself being one of those, but then we've got people that are not as experienced in Christ. And here's what I'm noticing about those people is they are starving for the word of God. They are craving 
the Word of God. When we did the question series, the big questions, that's one of the things I noticed is how many people had questions, not because they were trying to um, put me on trial or see if they can trap our team into some theological debate. They had questions because they are craving the truth of God's Word. If you were back up into 1 Peter 23 through 25, and Jeremy, I know I'm bouncing around. You're doing a great job, Jeremy. If Jeremy messes up today, it's my fault, not his. First Peter chapter 1, 23 and 25, he says, um, well, I'll just do 24. It says, people are like grass. Sorry. Their beauty is like flower in the field. The grass wither and the flower fades, verse 25. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And that, is, and that word is the good news that was preached to you. He said that right before he said that we need to crave spiritual milk, Right? What is it that we should be craving? We should be going after that word that saves us, that word of God that we need in our life. Then he says in 1 Peter 4, if you were to skip way down, 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11, he starts talking about how to live a life of hunger. It's not just to, to crave. You've got to live a life of craving, right? Have you, ever, have you ever craved something so bad that you would do anything to get it? Anybody ever had a craving that bad? Yep, me and Doobie and Bobby only honest people in the room. I know the rest of y'all have. I craved McDonald's french fries so bad for a season of my life that I would literally drive 10 minutes out of the way on my way home from work just to stop by a McDonald's that I knew nobody else. I was like, I was like a crackhead. Like I was like, can I get some of the McDonald's french fries, please? You know what I mean? I was freaking out. I was showing up at McDonald's like, I got to get some French I just need French fries. If you could just give me two large French fries, that's all I need. And I knew that if I went to this McDonald's, none of my other friends would be around that McDonald's. I didn't want them seeing me just getting French fries all day, every day. I loved McDonald's French fries. And I would go out of my way to get them, right? I'd go out of my way to get them. So, so Paul says there's a life of craving. I mean, Peter says there's a life of craving that we need to live. How do I live a life of hunger and craving? Here's what he says. Here's a couple of things he tells us. In, in 1 Peter uh, 4, 7, he says, The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Uh, another translation makes a little bit more sense. It says, um, be sober and self-controlled so that you can pray. In other words, he says, you want to live a life of craving? You need to be able to pray. But here's the thing. You need to be dialed in. Like, like, like this is a life that craves is a life that says, I got to do anything I can. I want my prayers to be heard. I want my prayers to be powerful and effective. I'll do whatever it takes to get that way. I'm going to be dialed in. I'm going to be focused. I'm going to, I'm going to have earnestness in my prayer life. Verse eight says, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other for love covers a multitude of sin. You want to be a hungry person. You want to crave God. Here's the way you can do it. You can start loving people, but not just loving people. He says, deep Love. Deep love for each other. We live in a world full of shallow love right now. We live in a world that, that says that if you can do it all online. It's all about Facebook and it's all about Instagram. And how many followers do you have? And how many friends are on your friends list? But the fact is, we, we rarely interact face-to-face with people anymore. We rarely show acts of love and kindness anymore like we used to. And so Paul, uh, Peter says this. I'm going to say Paul a lot. Peter says this, show deep love for each other. In verse 9, he says, here's another, here's another sign of hunger, is that you cheerfully, cheerfully share your home with those in need or uh, need a meal or a place to stay. In other words, we are cheerful to share our possessions. 
And here's another one that he says, the last one. Uh, Verse 10. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. I love that. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Paul says this. Here's another sign of that kind of craving, that kind of hungry Christian. Is a hungry Christian wants to do whatever they can to serve other people. They want to use whatever gift they've got. We had, we've had people... Um, we've got a little giftings test that we do here at the church. And if you want to, if you want to take the test, you're more than welcome to, you can ask me for it. I'll give it to you. But, um, but here's the thing. We've had people take this test and immediately they're like, I want to know what I can do. Where can I serve? What can I do with this? Here's what my paper says. How does that work? Like they are hungry and they have desire to do something with what God's given them. There are some Christians that have no hunger and no desire And they're not generous. They don't pray. They don't want to serve. They just want to sit and receive. Right? Listen, if you're just sitting and receiving, you're not hungry. You're being fed. But a hungry person will go get something. A hungry person seeks it out. And so that's the kind of people we want to see. That's the kind of people people, Peter's talking about here. He says, says, if you're going to be a real Christian, if you're going to stand firm against the devil, you can't be the kind of person that just sits back and hopes food falls to you. You've got to be the kind of person that goes out and gets it. Number three, the last thing. Peter tells us that a Christian is going to be holy. They're going to be set apart. They're going to be hungry. They're in pursuit of all God has for them and all God can do through them. And then number three, a Christian is humble. A Christian is humble. The Bible says in multiple places that God, um, God rejects prideful people, but, but gives grace or lifts up humble people. Humility is huge in the kingdom of God. The Bible says that Jesus came to serve, not be served. In other words, the very essence of Christianity has to flow from a place of humility. I can tell you right now, just by listening to people's sermons or by watching people witness or by looking at someone's life, whether or not they are really flowing in their Christianity because that humility will be evident, right? Humility is huge. And so here's what Peter says. Peter's going to give us one, two, three, four different places to be humble. So I'm going to try to run through these four different places real quick. The first person, first place he says you need to have uh, humility is whenever someone else is in authority. First Peter uh, 2, 13 through 18, it says, For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority. Wait, I didn't read that right. It says submit to all human authority. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to me because, because what if I voted for the Republican candidate and the Democrat got in? I can't submit to him. Right? I don't need to be submitting to Democrats if I'm Republican. But wait, 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 wait. What if I'm, a Repu- if I'm a Democrat and the Republican got in and he's orange and has wispy hair? I can't submit to him, right? Because, because he's a racist and the Democrat's a baby killer. What am I supposed to do? First of all, stop worrying about being a Republican or Democrat. Worry about being a Christian, right? Because they're all wrong anyway. Only Christ is right. So first of all, think like that. But second of all, here's what he says. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It is God's will. 
Uh-oh. It is God's will that your, that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone. Respect everyone. And love the family of believers. That's easy, right? That's easy. Fear God, right? And respect the king. Here's the thing about the king. If I were to read a different translation, it would say respect the emperor. Now, you need to understand something. When Peter's writing this, Rome is in control, and there's an emperor named Nero who's in control of the world. Nero's crazy. Like, he has lost it. And Nero hates Christians. As a matter of fact, it's Nero that will take Christians and, and dip them in oil and put them on a stick and hang them up and light them up as torches for his parties. Nero's crazy. Nero is the emperor that killed Peter. Now, you think you got a problem submitting to Trump or Biden? Imagine having to submit to the man that would literally murder you. And Peter says, submit to the king. Submit to the emperor. Submit to Nero. I don't understand it. I don't get it. There's things in the Bible I don't understand. And this is one of them. But Peter says it. And so we got to do it. He then talks to slaves. He says, you who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they're cruel. So here's something I want us all to consider. What does it mean to honor and respect authority? Does it mean I have to agree with everything they say? Absolutely not. Does it mean I have to, I have to sin or allow sin? Absolutely not. I mean, we even know the Bible says that, that John the Baptist stood up to Herod when Herod was in sin, sleeping with his brother's sister, right? Like we know John the Baptist stood up to him. Now, John the Baptist got his head cut off for it, but he stood up to him. But he stood up to him in a respectful way, right? We know that Jesus even called Herod a fox. Like Jesus was like, look, this guy's not doing things right. But then Jesus also still paid taxes. Like these are interesting dynamics here that are at work. In the Jewish culture, what the Jews would do is they said, we serve no king but God alone. And it was very convenient as long as they didn't have a king. They could say, we serve no king except for God alone. And so they would refuse to pay taxes to Rome or they would refuse to pay taxes to whomever. And, 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 and so they had this mindset of rejection of authority. And Peter says, I don't care if the man's trying to kill you. You have to live a life of humility and honor those in authority over you. And even whenever he talks to, to, to slaves, and that slave may not be the same exact term that we think of in America. Maybe it was a different aspect in those days. But still the idea remains of what if they're mean to me? He says, you still got to respect them. Think about that at your job. Think about that. Not let's get politics out of the way. Think about it at your job. What if your boss is mean to you? Do you have the right, because they're mean to you, to go around behind their back and talk bad about them? Peter says you don't. Peter says you still respect them. Yeah, but they, they cut my hours. Yeah, but they fired me. Well, they're not your boss anymore. Now you can talk as bad as you want to. <laughs> no, no, you can't do that. can't do that. Listen, I, I've been treated wrong, and I'll use, I use that example sometimes from, from the pulpit to make a point that I've been treated wrong in church before, but I've never said the man's name, right? 
I've never told you his name. And here's the thing. I would have people from the same church where I was kind of booted out of or, or kind of um, encouraged not to stay, right? And, and so whenever, whenever I left that church, people would come to me and they'd say, what do you think about this new pastor? And what do you think about, and should I? And I would say, listen, that's not up to me. And I would never tell them my story. I would never tell them what the pastor did. Why? Because it's not my job to tear other people down. I had to honor him. Now, that whole situation, God had my back. God took care of everything. But I kept my mouth shut. And that's important for you to understand today. Whenever we're humble, a Christian is humble. A Christian honors those in authority over them, even if they don't agree with the authority. Now, I'm not going to agree with sin. I'm not going to sin in order to, you know, the Bible says that Daniel was told he's not allowed to pray. What did he do? He prayed anyway, right? He's not going to turn against God. Now he was thrown into a lion's den. Are you seeing a theme here? John the Baptist, Daniel. The idea, though, is this. And we'll talk about suffering next week. But the idea is this, that I still have to honor even if I don't agree. Now, I always honor God. I never turn to sin. I never okay sin. But I, I don't talk bad. That makes me start feeling bad. Like right now I'm starting to think back through my brain of, of how many memes or how many um, things I've posted on, on social media to make fun of someone. I'm like, oh man, I better go tear those down, right? The other thing he says, if you're humble, you're going to be humble towards your spouse. i got to hurry. <laughs> oh, you skip that part and come back to it later. Actually, ladies, you're not going to like this first part. Okay, here we go. Uh, let's be humble towards our spouse real quick. Here's what he says about husbands and wives. He's talking to wives first. Verse 3 of chapter 3. He says, in the same way you wives... I mean, verse 1 of chapter 3. In the same way you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Boom. Even... No, I'm just kidding. Uh, then, even if some of you refuse... If some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. He's saying, hey, wives... Some of you have husbands that aren't serving God. And here's the thing. Your life of humility can win your husband. Your life of humility, as opposed to always rejecting your husband and being mean to your husband. If you learn how to be humble, even if your husband doesn't serve God, the Bible says that he will because of your life. Verse 3 says, don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles. Anybody got fancy hairstyles today? Fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble. You should clothe yourselves instead with beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle, quiet spirit, which is precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful, because they didn't have makeup. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. Let's pause right there for a second. Let me just say this about women. Humility is about finding inner beauty. Think about this for a second. I don't care if you wear the fanciest dresses and have the coolest hairstyles. I, who am I going to talk about hairstyles, right? I don't care what kind of hairstyle you come in here with. I don't care if you have all the jewelry you want to have on. You can have jewelry so much that your ears are hanging down to your knees. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. But what Peter is saying here, he's not saying those things are sins. He's saying you've got to find some inner beauty. You got to find something on the inside that's more beautiful than what's on the outside because the outside stuff, I promise you, will fade away. The inside never will. And Peter says the women of old, they learned how to be beautiful on the inside. And he says, we need to learn how to be beautiful on the inside. One of the things I notice about my wife is I think my wife's beautiful. I think she's beautiful. 
We've been married almost 18 years. Tomorrow, 18 years. I have survived. Woo woo! I mean, you have survived. No, I survived. She didn't kill me. Um, we've been married 18 years. Here's the thing about my wife. I think she's beautiful. She, she very rarely ever changes. We've got our wedding photo up in our bedroom, and she still looks exactly the same. I look totally different. It's like she married a totally, I'm like her second husband. And so, um, and so, but here's the thing about Perry that I love is the fact that she is just as beautiful, if not more, on the inside than she is on the outside. Yesterday, she's, she's making meals, and she's like, I, I'm making meals for people. I'm going to take a meal to this person, and then I forgot to take a meal to this person, so I'm going to make them a meal too. And, and I'm just steady. And, and all day, she's doing that. She's like, hey, how, how can we bless this person? How can we do that? And I thought, I thought, baby, you are so beautiful. And if you will make me meals like you make other people meals, we will have a better marriage. The other thing, oh, man, now I've got to read the part about the husbands. Verse 7. Verse 7, I only have a couple minutes. Verse 7, in the same way you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are. Now, that's not for everybody. There's some ladies in here that are way stronger than their husbands. I mean, I'm not going to point out any names, but, but they might be sitting over here. So, um, in the same way, she may be weaker or stronger than you, just depends just depends, Anna. But she is your equal partner. She's your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. <laughs> Man, I'm funny sometimes. We got a couple of girls in the room today that whenever we're working out at the gym, I know y'all don't like when I talk about the gym, but when we're working out at the gym, I'll do a lift and I'll be so proud of myself at 41 years old and skinny that I can lift up, you know, 200 pounds. And then I'll walk over to Anna or Soph and I'll say, what did y'all do today? And we're like, oh, I had a bad day. I just, I just did 215 pounds. I'm just like, oh man, <laughs> I'm never going to ask them again. Their husbands are in trouble. Um, here's what he says to the husbands. He says, humility is in learning how to honor others. Humility is about learning the needs of your spouse. He says this, live in understanding with your spouse. We, we talked about this on marriage night. The word there literally means to learn your wife. Men, he's not talking to women. He told women to submit. He told men to do something even worse. Learn your wife. Like we got to study her and know her. It's, this is hard. I got to know her love language and I got to know her personality and I got to know what she likes and what she hates. And then I've got to form my life around that. Why? So I can honor her and lift her up because I've got to be humble. Here's a neat thought is this. Humility is not always lowering yourself, but it's always elevating other people. Sometimes we think in order for me me to be humble, I've got to be bad and I've got to talk about how bad I am and I've got to get low. No, 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 no. It's not about that. It's about learning how to pick other people up to your level. It's about learning how to raise other people up past you. And for me to honor my spouse, it's about lifting her up, not always trying to tear myself down. All right, very quickly. Guys, if y'all want to come, the quicker you come, John and Jay, the, the quicker I'll shut up. I know, there was a, I know there was a key point I was supposed to tell you so we wouldn't, so the crowd wouldn't know you were coming up. Because they don't ever know. Do y'all, do y'all ever notice the, the guys come up on stage? You don't, do you? It's like a surprise. You're like, where did that music come from? That's weird. Why are the lights lower? I don't know. The other thing he says is you've got to be humble as a leader. Now, we're all leaders to some aspect, right? So he says be humble as a leader. In, in chapter 5, he says this. 
I'll just skip down to the good parts. Let's go to verse 2. He says, Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. For Not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, he will, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. Verse 5, In the same way, you younger, you men who are younger, accept the authority of the older guys, the elders. And all of you dress yourself in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He says that we need to learn how to care for the people that God's put around us. He says we need to learn how to not lord it over them. And then at, at the same time, we need to learn how to, how to accept wisdom from people that know more than we do. I don't care what level of leadership you're in today, whether that's leadership in the church or leadership in the business world. Um, I don't care if you're middle management or lower management or if you just showed up and it was your first day and you're trying to be nice to the mailman that comes in. You need to learn how to be humble in your job. Care for the people around you. Accept wisdom from other people. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, verse 6. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. I want to end today. Back where we started, 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Next week, we'll go to the next verse, the next part of that verse. It says, remember that your family of believers all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. Today, my question for us is this. Are we holy? Are we living a life of holiness? Are we living a life where we're set apart from those around us? Can people tell a difference between you and the sinner next to you? Maybe not sinner. Maybe we're all sinners. Can people tell a difference between you as a believer and the non-believer standing next to you? Can they see a difference in your life? Oh man, I hope so. I hope so. I hope that my life is an example. Before I ever speak a word, I hope that my life is an example of being holy and set apart. Are you hungry? Are you pursuing the truth of God? Are you asking questions? Are you studying to show yourself approved, as the Bible says? Are you going after God with everything that you've got? Are you loving deeply and sharing and giving and serving? Are you doing those things? Or have you forgotten, like Bobby said last week, forgotten our first love? Have we gotten to a place of complacency and where everything just kind of just flows by and we just kind of get through church and we get through life? I'm going to tell you something. I don't want to get through anything. I want to grow and I want to develop and I want to be hungry to learn. I want to be the best that I can be. Are you humble? Are you walking in humility? Are you walking in humility to the authorities over you? Are you walking in humility to those that you're an authority over? Are you walking in humility with your spouse, with your kids? Why don't you stand up with me today? I like these letters of Peter. I like them because I like Peter. I like his life. I can relate to him. My mouth gets me in trouble a lot, like Peter. Sometimes I can do things without thinking, like Peter. I've messed up in my life. I've made a lot of mistakes, just like Peter. But just like Peter, 
I'm pursuing Christ. Just like Peter, I've repented of my sins. Just like Peter, God has, has given me purpose and destiny to walk in. The cool thing about Peter, the Bible says that whenever he had sinned, he denied Christ. Jesus dies and is raised from the dead. But Peter feels like it's all over for me. I'm done, right? And so the Bible says that he, he uh, stopped doing ministry and went back to fishing. So like, I'm just going to go back to what I know. He probably felt totally unworthy. But when Jesus shows up on the shore and everybody's looking out of the boat and they said, I think that's Jesus cooking fish. Peter, the Bible says, jumped out of the boat and swam all the way to the shore. He wanted to be the first one to show up to see Jesus because he knew he knew there was some stuff that he needed to get right. He knew he wasn't set apart. He had been acting like an unbeliever. He knew that he wasn't humble. He had been very, very prideful. But he thought, I'm going to start with hungry today. I may not be these other two things, but I can pick one to work on. I'll pick hungry and I'll jump out of this boat and I'll do whatever it takes to get to Jesus. There may be some of you today, you need to start with hungry. Maybe you need to jump out of the boat and do whatever it takes to get to Jesus. I want everybody to close your eyes this morning. Nobody looking around. We're going to just take a moment. This doesn't save you. This isn't magic. It's, it's your relationship with Christ that saves you. It's, it's his mercy on your life that saves you. But today, here's what I want us to do. I want to put you in a place where you can make a decision. I want to put you in a place today where you can make a choice to, to be hungry, to pursue, to go after God. To say, I need to repent because I haven't been holy. I haven't been living a life set apart. I've been living a life just like everybody else. Maybe you've walked in pride for too long and maybe that pride says that you can handle it and you can take care of it. But in reality, you need to give everything you've got to Jesus Christ today. If that's you, if you find one of those areas today that you need to repent, you find one of those areas today that you need to change, that that you need to say, I got to do a better job on this one area. The Spirit of God is speaking to hearts right now and he's, he's examining us and He's showing us like a mirror. He's showing us our life and He's showing us which one of these areas we need to walk in today. If that's you this morning and you're saying, hey, I, I, got, a, I got a big problem with one of these areas. I'm struggling in one of these areas. I need you just to slip your hand up. Just be bold, be courageous today. Just do something hungry today. Just slip your hand up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to pray over you today. I'm going to pray over you. But then here's what I want to do. When service is over, whenever I get done praying, I'm going to get my dad and my mom. Y'all come on down. Gary and Sarah Wilson, y'all come on down. Kim, won't you come on down? Bobby, Michelle, you come on down. Y'all just line up across the front. Here's what I'm going to say today. If you need prayer for any one of these areas, I want you to be bold. I want you to jump out of the boat. I want you to swim, right? Jump out of the boat, come down, and let somebody pray with you this morning. So God, right now, I just pray over every person in this room, every person in the sound of my voice, even those that are watching online, I'm praying for you today. And I'm believing that God is doing a work in your life. I'm believing that he is creating in you a a hunger and a desire. He's creating in you a a, a holiness that you need. He's putting in you humility today. And so God, I pray today that we would walk in this, that we would accept your gift of salvation today. We would accept, God, your mercy and your grace that we don't deserve, but you're pouring it out on us today. 
And God, whatever area that we need help in today, I pray that you would make us hungry enough to get out from where we are, maybe to make some changes that we didn't think we could make. God, I pray that you would give us that ability by your great mercy. Strengthen us and empower us. The Bible says that it's your Holy Spirit that makes us holy. So Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place today to change us. Don't let us stay the same. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now today, if you need...